But what I want to share with you this morning is really something that I believe lacked in my seminary preparation, or at least it's something that I missed. And at a minimum, it's something that I didn't take serious. The title of my message this morning is Rejoice in Suffering for the Church. Rejoice in Suffering for the Church. Now, when it comes to this topic, I expect many of us might not take this concept, this idea, really this this biblical preparation to suffer for the church as seriously as we should. A lot of times we don't have an experience for it. We don't really have a context to think about what really is this experience going to be like that I'm preparing for. It reminds me a little bit of premarital counseling. So whenever I do premarital counseling, the things I cover for the couple are often things they don't think will happen to them. You know, they have this concept that that marriage is difficult and there's difficulties in marriage and we need to prepare for that, but they don't necessarily have a context in which to apply or really receive and understand uh, the preparation that we're giving them. You know, the best time for premarital counseling The best time for premarital counseling is not two or three months before the wedding, it's two or three years after the wedding, okay? Because two or three years after the wedding, now I have a context to receive some of this great beneficial help to help me really reflect the glory of God in my marriage and to my spouse. And so um, I pray and I believe that this may happen to us, right? So you're going to go into ministry and maybe two or three years after you're in full-fledged local church or whatever ministry God's calling you into, you're going to begin to get a context for what it means to suffer for the bride of Christ and to, and to realize you're seeking uh, to, to find joy yet in the calling and in the circumstance God has you serving in. And you're going to think, now, wait a minute. I remember there's a chapel several years ago. This guy was talking about rejoicing and suffering for the church, right? So you're going to go back online and look for the archive and see if you can find the chapel service, you know. But what I pray is that even right now, we can open our minds to see and hear what God has for us in this preparation. And I trust that what we receive today, God will bring to mind then when you need it. You know, even at premarital counseling, I try to prepare couples with this idea. I even read them Paul's famous premarital scripture verse. Are you familiar with this? Paul's famous premarital scripture verse is 1 Corinthians 7.28. It says, if you get married, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But such people will have trouble in this life and I'm trying to spare you, okay? (laughs) So I'll just let you exegete that in its proper context on your own. But uh, this is this idea that um, there's, there's trouble in this life. And the thing is, I'm not trying to spare you in the sense of scare you into thinking you shouldn't enter enter into ministry, just the opposite. What I want to do this morning is try to spare you from being unprepared for what you are actually entering into. You see, there's an expectation we can have of what it's like to be in ministry. And we can see people, uh, and we might have this picture of what it's like to be in ministry, to be 
leading and shepherding and serving the body of Christ, and it might not be an accurate picture of what Jesus is actually calling us into. Or maybe you see a humble, faithful preacher of God's word shepherding the body in strength and in courage, and they do it so well that you don't see the suffering that they agonize for the body of Christ that they've been called to serve. You see, maybe they do it so well that what you see is they're rejoicing in their suffering and you see their joy. Because a lot of times in ministry, this is what people expect to see in our, on our face. They expect to see the joy, the victory, the conquering, the confidence, the hope. Not always the suffering. And oftentimes, you can suffer in uh, isolation. You suffer alone. And we can miss in our ministry preparation the calling we're called to endure in our suffering for the church. Now, the good thing is the Apostle Paul shares with us his testimony about suffering for the church. And I believe that as uh, we look at this text, we're going to receive hope and help so that we can endure and rejoice in our suffering for the bride of Christ. But as we get into the text, let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for your love and your grace to us in Christ. And Father, right now, I just pray as we worship you now through the study of your word, I just pray that you will open our hearts and minds, you will convict us by your spirit, that your word would have its transforming, sanctifying way in us, that we would be prepared to endure faithfully in a way that you are glorified through our ministry calling. So Father, we give you this moment. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, you can turn with me. I'm going to be in Colossians chapter 1. It's going to be our text, Colossians chapter 1. Now, as we look at Colossians chapter 1, I'm actually going to make six observations you must know to rejoice in suffering for the church. Six observations. Now, six isn't usually, I usually wouldn't do this many. Six seems like a lot, but two things. For one, I seek to allow the text to determine how many points there will be in the preaching. But secondly, you're seminary students, so I figure, you know, you can handle six. You can handle six points, you know. <laughs> so we'll dive right in. So I'm going to six observations you must know to rejoice in suffering for the church. But I'm also coming from a place of not just biblical observation, but also personal experience. Uh, the ministry uh, that God had called me into previous to coming here at Connection Point, where I served as senior pastor at a church. God had called me into a, a church that was hurting and a community that was broken, that had a challenging and difficult history that they were seeking to overcome, that there was fraction in, within the body. There was immaturity amongst the members. There was misunderstanding and misrepresentation in the community. And there was a lot of challenging things God called us into to suffer and endure for this church. And so I want to speak from both of these places as we go through the text this morning. So we are going to be in verse uh, Colossians 1, verse 24 is where we're going to, be, going to begin. 
And Paul is going to tell us about his ministry. Are you ready? All right. Paul's going to tell us about his ministry. He starts right here in verse 24, says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. So I just want to stop right there for a second. I rejoice in my sufferings for you. You see, Paul is beginning to talk about his ministry and characterize his ministry to this church in Colossae, and he doesn't begin with how many baptisms they had or how great the worship was or how powerful it was to preach or how many uh, mission people they were able to give to or how many resources they were ever to give. He starts and he characterizes this, his ministry with them by, I'm rejoicing in my suffering for you. And so the first observation we make about how we rejoice in suffering is to know that you're entering a space that requires suffering. You need to know that you're entering into a space that actually requires suffering on your part. See, if you're not prepared to suffer, your life in ministry will suffer. And Paul tells us even in Ephesians 2, Something we need to realize that the world, the flesh, and the devil are against you, are against your ministry, against your church. And we can experience that now more than ever in the world. The world and the culture is, is against the mission and the purpose of God in this world. And like never before, the culture is not just ebbing away or drifting away. They're at a full halt sprint away from the, from the uh, biblical truth of God's word. And so you will attack Suffering from the outside in the world. But there's also the flesh. Now, unfortunately, this is the flesh that remains with us in our time before glory and resurrection, right? And you experience the flesh of people, even the flesh of the saints within your ministry. And there's not only attack from the world, there can be inner conflict, inner flesh and conflict in your experience. It can sometimes be shocking if you're not prepared to suffer even along with the depravity in the flesh of the saints. And then we obviously know the devil is working against our ministry and these things, and it's, it's, we're entering into a, something that the world, the flesh, and the devil are against, and we need to realize that we're entering into a calling, we're responding to a calling that is going to require suffering. But look what Paul goes on to say here, I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I, this is very interesting, I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. Now, let's just breathe. Okay, let's just all take a breath. It's going to be okay, right? So whenever I first saw this text, it was a little shocking, Right? Whenever someone insinuates that something may be lacking in Jesus' sacrifice or Jesus' atonement, it kind of triggers our, uh, our righteous theological kind of anger, right? And so some of us may think that uh, Christ's afflictions may be limited, but we would never say that it's lacking. But this is the Apostle Paul. So we have some work to do, right? We have some work to do. But to reassure you, Paul here is not speaking of Jesus' payment for our sin or suggesting God is not fully satisfied in the sacrifice of Jesus made on the cross to pay for our sin. The propitiation of Christ is not in context here, not what is in question. But see, what Paul is saying and what we need to understand about ministry is that the world is not satisfied in their anger and their persecution against the purpose and the mission of Jesus Christ. 
And you see the body of Christ continues to receive the afflictions that are geared towards the person of Christ. And Paul in his life and his ministry is taking on the brunt of that affliction. And his, ministry, his mission and yours as a pastor, as a ministry leader and servant may be also to take the brunt and to take the affliction that is geared towards Christ for his church. You may be called to complete in your body what is lacking in satisfying the world and their affliction towards Christ and towards his suffering. So how do you rejoice in suffering? First thing, you have to know that you are entering into a space that requires suffering. But secondly, you must know that you are suffering for the body and the bride of Jesus Christ. You see, he says he's, he, he's, filling, he's completing in his flesh what is, what is lacking Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, for the church. So the suffering we endure in ministry is for the church. It is for his body. It is for his bride. And I have this somewhat hypothetical picture that uh, God gave me that I think about as I think through this. And you think about there's a, there's a body of Christ, there's a bride of Jesus that is hurting and broken and in need, in need of a shepherd, in need of someone to, to lead her, to protect her, to nurture her, to care for her. And it's going to be a difficult work, but it is, it is, there's, there's a leader and shepherd, there's someone needed there at this body. And Jesus poses the question to you, will you go? Will you go there and serve and suffer for my bride? And in my estimation, there's no greater privilege I could have or that we could have than to be given a ministry calling to go and suffer for the bride of Christ that is in need of love and of shepherding and discipleship. And in this, we can rejoice when we suffer for the church. We can rejoice in knowing that we're suffering for the bride of Christ that is at a high calling. And it's not about you. It's not about me. Our suffering is not so much about us. It's not about our preaching. It's not about our service. It's not about our personality, our ability, our impact, our, our vision, our mission. It's not about us. It is about Jesus. It's about his mission. It's about his body. It's about his bride. The suffering we endure is for him and for his glory. And so in this perspective, we can look at our suffering and say, yes, I'm suffering, but it is for, I rejoice in this suffering because it is for the body and the bride of Jesus Christ. And then in verse 25, he says, I have become its servant. So you see this suffering servant. That should sound familiar to you, right? From Isaiah, he pictures, prophetically pictures Jesus and maybe even the people of God as this suffering servant. And he says, I become its servant according to the God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Now, what Paul points out here is the mission God has placed on his life, the ministry that God has commissioned him to do in the world. And this is the third way we rejoice in our suffering is that knowing that you're suffering as part of God's calling. As part of God's calling, you see, when you get into ministry and you begin to endure hard things, you're going to have to know and you're going to have to remember that this is part of God's calling on your life, that you are called to this place to serve these people, to suffer for this body. 
And knowing that your calling is certain, looking back and knowing you can remember, I know that God called me into this place of ministry is going to give you perseverance in your suffering. You see, when things start to get hard, it's easy to think it must be time to leave. This is often our time to suffer. But see, we must look back and know and have assurance that this is what God has called us into for this season. And so we want to know our suffering is part of God's calling on our lives. And the second part of this verse says that God's commission to give it to me for you to make the word of God fully known. See, we're not suffering for their pleasure. We're suffering for God's glory. We're suffering to make the word of God fully known. And when you're searching and you're preaching and you're teaching and you're ministering to make the God word of God fully known, it might not always be received with joy and with hugs and with applause. It may be not received at all. It may be pushed back on. It may be cause criticism or concern or things that you find unfair. But see, the way we, another way we can rejoice in our suffering is to know that you're suffering to make the word of God fully known. When our suffering is not about us, it's not for some agenda we have or some vision or, or, or prosperity or success we're hoping to gain, but when our suffering is to make the word of God fully known, we can rejoice in that. It is a privilege to suffer for the word of God to be fully known. You see, there's, there's going to be things that want to steal your joy. There may be financial challenges in your ministry. There may be staff issues. There may be congregational preferences and complaining. There may be worship differences. There's going to be programming conflicts, etc., etc. None of these things I have found brings joy in my suffering. None of these things bring joy in my suffering. But as you endure these things, first thing I would say is don't endure those things alone. You want to have a group of men, a group of leaders that can suffer these secondary things with you. But secondly, as you endure these things, you want to stay focused on the commission God has given you to do. As you endure some of these secondary things, you want to stay focused on these things are a part of my larger mission to make the word of God fully known. And then you can make it through these things and you can endure these things because it leads you to the, the most prominent thing, which is making the word of God fully known. And in that you can rejoice. Look at verse 26. Now he wants to make this, Paul wants to make it fully known. So there's this mystery that he's introducing or making known to them that they've been struggling with or rejecting. And it says, verse 26, that this mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. Verse 27, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, Paul is making known something to them they were previously unaware or unrealized for them to experience. You know, we see the word mystery in the Bible. As you know, it's not something spooky or something scary, right? It's not something that's confusing necessarily. 
Mystery in the Bible, as I understand it, is something previously unrevealed that has now been made known. Something previously unrevealed that has now been made known. And in Paul's context, he's suffering for the truth that the Spirit of Christ now indwells inside each and every believer, and His Spirit now governs our lives. In this new covenant era, we no longer are ruled by the external law, but by the internal Spirit of Christ. And he's teaching them, he's telling them, listen, Christ in you is your hope of glory. Your glory is not about your behavior, it's not about your obedience, it's not about your ability to sin less than the people around you or obey more, be more disciplined than maybe some other of the saints. Your glory is not in your ministry or in your suffering or in your service or in your preaching. Your only hope of glory is the person of Jesus Christ and his spirit that indwells in you. That is your hope of glory. And our people need to know this truth. They need to know the truth of Christ in them as their only hope of glory. You see, when we focus on ourselves, we focus on our abilities, we focus on our obedience, we assume glory because of the effort or the discipline or the impact we may be having, we begin to think it's about us, but we cannot add to the glory of God. We can only maximize the glory of God. And we want to maximize his glory. The only hope of glory we have is Jesus Christ, his work for you and his work in and through you. Therefore, Paul says in verse 28, we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You see, this is the mission worth suffering for. This is a mission you can rejoice in. People growing and knowing and maturing in Christ. This is ultimately what, we're, what, we're, what, we're, what our mission is, right? To, to help people, invest in people so they actually mature in Jesus Christ. And you can suffer. It's, you're willing to suffer for if people are actually maturing in Jesus Christ. Are you leading and are you preaching in a way that actually leads to people's spiritual maturity in Christ? See, the temptation is to preach and teach lots of things. We can preach clever things. We preach sexy things, relevant things, crowd-pleasing, self-promoting, ear-tickling, the trendy things. We tempted to teach on all of those things. But listen, however you communicate and lead and shepherd the body of Christ, we are commissioned to proclaim Him. We are commissioned to proclaim him. He alone brings the maturity that our people need, that we're commissioned to invest in the people under our care. He alone is the glory in our preaching. He alone is the glory in our impact. He alone is the glory in our sanctification. As we mature and we're sanctified in Christ, it's about proclaiming him. It's about them knowing him. We proclaim Jesus Christ in such a way that people hear and people can apply and they'll actually grow in their spiritual maturity in Christ. See, we might have a, a temptation to, to preach and teach self-help. We want to preach and teach tips and techniques that maybe help you become more popular. 
Maybe you'll have a bigger crowd, but you will not be faithful to the mission you have been given, and you may miss the privilege and the joy of actually suffering for the church in the body of Christ. So a fifth way we rejoice in our suffering is to know that you are suffering to present everyone mature in Christ. You can stand faithfully before God and know that those who stand before him under your care, that they had every opportunity to be presented as one mature in Christ. You see, when we begin to move into my personal opinion, when we begin to move into self-help or become motivational speakers, it becomes about us, how good we are. It becomes about our attendance or how big the crowd is. Or maybe it comes to only conversion and not also maturity. And I think one way this begins to happen in us is when we begin to move away from our own spiritual maturity. We become stagnant in our own spiritual maturity. Trust me, it is impossible to rejoice in your suffering when you're not walking intimately with Jesus. See, verse 28 also says, we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Wisdom is an idea that jumped out at me. See, biblical wisdom is not just knowing a lot about the Bible and theology, or it's not just knowing it for a long time. As you know, wisdom is the application of that knowledge that you have. See, we cannot rejoice in suffering and you cannot preach and teach in a way that actually brings maturity in Christ if you're not presently and consistently maturing in Christ yourself. You cannot rest in people's assumption of your spiritual maturity because of the knowledge that you have. You may walk around your ministry, your campus, your church, and you're going to have an appearance of wisdom because of your knowledge. And we cannot allow ourselves to rest in the appearance of wisdom. And we can't allow ourselves to rest in our past seasons of gaining wisdom. It can't be, yes, in the past, I was doing these things, walking intimately with Jesus. In the past, I learned this, so now in my current life, I'm going to live on that energy, that supply that I gained then. No, we need the Spirit moving in us, currently and presently moving in us, walking intimately with Jesus, applying the wisdom that God is teaching you and showing you and applying in and through you in order to rejoice in suffering for the maturity of the people in your church, in your ministry, in your calling. That is why Paul says in verse 29 that I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. See, in order to rejoice in suffering for the church, we must labor and strive, but we must do it with the strength that Jesus Christ provides. And this strength that he provides must be powerfully working in you. It must presently and currently be powerfully working in you if you're going to be able to endure with joy through the suffering for his body. 
And that's the final way we rejoice in our suffering is to know that you're suffering with the strength that works powerfully in you. We don't want to rest on talent, on gifts, on personality, on charm, on cleverness, on courage. We want to endure with the strength of Christ that's powerfully working in you. The strength of Christ powerfully working in you. Are you humble enough to continually surrender to the power of Christ in you? As you move into ministry and you already experience, people may view you with a high calling. They may view you with respect and admiration. They may view you in a way that can build pride in you. And this pride in you might keep you from yielding and surrendering, realizing you are nothing apart from the powerful work of Christ in you. And you serve in his strength alone. And in that way, he also will get the glory alone. So in closing, I would just summarize this or remind you that six ways we can endure with suffering. You want to know that you're entering into a space that requires suffering. Are you prepared in your response to your calling and ministry to know and step into and endure a place of suffering? but you know that you're suffering for the body and the very bride of Jesus Christ. What a privilege, what a joy, what a calling you have. You know that you're suffering for God's calling in your life. This will produce the the perseverance and endurance in you. Know that you're suffering to make the word of God fully known. Be committed to make the word of God fully known. Don't follow the temptations to other things. Know that you're suffering to present everyone mature in Christ. You will endure in your ministry if if you're actually doing the things and proclaiming the things that lead people to maturity in Christ. And know that you are suffering with his strength that works powerfully in you. You're not alone. It's not up to you or your ability. It's the power of Christ in you. So such people will have suffering in this life, and I'm trying to spare you. As you prepare for the privilege and the joy of serving the body of Christ, the mission of Jesus in the world, I pray that you, like Paul and so many other faithful servants, will rejoice in your suffering. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for this time you give us to, to dive into your word and make observations. Father, I pray that you will ingrain this into our hearts and our minds, that we would endure faithfully for you and the ministry you've called us into, that we would serve for your glory and your power for your people. And that we would rejoice in the privilege of suffering for the eternal purpose of Jesus in our world. Father, I pray these truths will 
hide themselves in our heart. And Father, when we need them most, you will bring them to mind that we will, by your power of your spirit, be reminded of these truths, to be encouraged, to endure, to remember that there's hope in our endurance, to remember that, Father, you, you are, we are serving your calling and your power for your purpose. So, Father, I pray even now you to prepare us for our current place of service, our current place of preparation. And when there is suffering to endure, I pray that we remember it's for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.